Hello, everybody, and welcome yet to another episode of the Nailed It Ortho podcast. My name is Dr. Cole, myself, and Dr. Fitz started this podcast to go over high-yield orthopedic surgery topics, but you're actually now tuned into a little bit different of an episode, and this is actually be the first episode of its kind. This will be a medical student or ortho student-centered episode featuring only orthopedic medical students or medical students interested in orthopedics applying for orthopedics. And I first must say congratulations to everybody that has matched this past week. I know it is a very exciting time. I'm happy for all of you and I wish you all luck with your future endeavors in residency. Continue to learn and be great. And I want to take a second to say to all those that did not match that hold your head up high, this is not the end. Do not be really hard on yourselves. You know, everybody's life story is different. Everybody's journey is different. Do not compare yourself to all of your peers. Again, everybody's life journey is different. This is your story. You can take a second and think and reflect on some of the things that you have done in the past. Think about the future. Think about how you will come back. One of the words I want everybody to look up is resiliency and try to be that or try to exude that with your comeback. You will come back stronger than ever. You will do great. You will do fine. Again, we are here for you. There are many different resources and things that you can do with your time. There are many different options. Please talk to somebody uh, if you are if you are feeling sad. If you want to talk to me, I am here. You can feel free to email me and us at nailed it ortho but we just don't want you all to be completely sad again this is everybody has a different life journey now continuing on to our episode of the day this episode is actually again like i was saying our first medical student team episode and the goal of this episode they really did a great job they talk about almost everything application-wise for preparing for residency. They talk about how virtual interviews went. They talk about the process, applications, getting different letters of recommendation. Sometimes we have attendings that actually listen to this. So if you're on the other side and you are a program director or somebody that is in charge of putting these things together, hopefully this gives you a little bit of insight on actually from the medical student's perspective. Sometimes it can be a little bit um, hard to look at from at things from the medical student perspective. So again, they did a great job. And just to kind of introduce some of the uh, students that are part of this episode, I want to introduce Tyler Thorne. Tyler is a medical student at the Burns School of Medicine in Hawaii. We have Jesse Fojo, who is a student at Vanderbilt. We also have Grace Gilbert, who is a student at St. George's University School of Medicine, actually where my family is from in the island of Grenada. And we have pretty much hosting this episode is uh, Lily Grossman. Lily Grossman is a uh, one of, a, actually would be an equivalent to a first year medical student in the U.S., but she's actually at McGill in Canada. So again, we hope you all enjoy this episode, our first medical student kind of round table. So let's do it. You are now listening to Nailed It, the orthopedic surgery podcast featuring doctors Jay Fitz and Wendell Cole. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Nailed It Ortho podcast. My name's Lily, I'm a new member of the Nailed It team, and I'm a first year medical student at McGill University in Montreal, Canada. This episode's going to be a little bit different than our usual episodes, because on today's podcast, we present to you a panel of three knowledgeable fourth-year medical students who are applying this cycle to orthopedic surgery programs across the country. 
we'll go over some key topics like how to prepare for electives, how to get your CVN application ready, who and how to ask for letters of recommendation, as well as other high yield information. Now, before we begin, I just wanted to say that this is meant to be casual. I prepared a few questions in advance that we'll run through, but feel free to jump in anytime because we're here for your advice and we want to learn from your experiences. So to start off, I think it would be good if we went around and everyone briefly introduced themselves, maybe tell us a little bit about your background and what initially drew you to ortho. Absolutely. Thanks, Lily. I can start. So my name is Grace Gilbert. I'm from New Jersey, and I originally got into orthopedics while I was working as a nurse. I had a, went to nursing school and kind of figured I would stop there, not interested in higher education, but ended up falling in love with surgery and orthopedics specifically. So I went to St. George University, where I'm in my fourth year now, um, and I did also take a research year. So we're graduating in a couple months, and I'm currently here in Brooklyn with my puppies growling in the background and with my bodega coffee. Thank you, Grace, for sharing. I guess, Jessa, you want to go next? For sure. Uh, so I'm Jessa. I grew up in New Hampshire, and I'm currently finishing up my last year of medical school uh, at Vanderbilt in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, I was always actually interested in surgery, even before I started uh, medical school. I was really inspired a lot by my mother, who is an ophthalmologist. Uh, so I went, when I started medical school, I tried exploring various uh, different uh, surgical subs specialties. And I found uh, when I rotated on orthopedics that I really loved the procedures um, and just how much of a direct impact they could make on patients. I think I was also very much drawn to the um, pre-op planning and imaging elements of ortho as well, because it really just felt like a puzzle to me. And ultimately, I just kept thinking about it after my rotation was over. Um, Despite loving all of my other rotations, surgical and non-surgical throughout medical school, um, orthopedics was uh, the one thing that I really just kept thinking about, kept coming back to and, and feeling like I really belonged in that field. Thank you, Jessa. Um, Tyler, you're up. Uh, thanks, Lily. My name is Tyler Thorne, and I'm an MS4 at the University of Hawaii. Um, so I grew up in Hawaii, and uh, originally I wasn't going to go into orthopedics. I was pursuing psychology. And I had an internship in Vietnam uh, where I was working with the physical therapy department for children with cerebral palsy. I was doing things like helping them with PT, uh, learning functional living skills. And the therapy helped a lot of kids. Um, but there were some children who had just such severe contractures uh, that they were in so much pain uh, until a group of visiting orthopedic surgeons came, released their contractures, and I was really just blown away by how much they improved uh, their quality of living. Um, and that's when I was like, you know, maybe psychology is really not what I want to go into. And I decided that I wanted to go into orthopedics. Wow, that's such a switch from psychology to orthopedic surgery. I think that's awesome. Uh, Lily, before we keep going, why don't you uh, introduce yourself and tell us which, why got you into orthopedic surgery and why you're so involved as a first year? Because all I was doing was studying at this point, so. Sure. Um, well, in Canada, it's a little bit different, and I'm from Quebec. So for, for me, like medical school is a five-year program, and I'm in my second year but it's technically like first year for you guys. 
um, growing up, I did gymnastics and I had a couple knee injuries and a couple knee surgeries. So that's what that's what initially got me interested in medicine. And I'm here listening to you guys and I'm interested in ortho, but I still have a long way to go. So I'm not 100 percent sure what I want to do. And I'm open to trying new things. But that's my path. It's definitely a good place to be at this stage. Thank you. Yeah. So hopefully, thank you for asking us all these questions and hopefully you can keep us from using too much jargon and make us explain ourselves if we, we are confusing. Well, hopefully, I know I'm learning from you and all our listeners are definitely learning from you guys as well. Um, so our next question is more about like what you guys did throughout medical school to help your application because obviously ortho is such a competitive match. So are there any particular things that you did throughout the past few years that you thought helped build your CV and with the rest of your application? Yeah, so I think there's honestly all of the the typical things that you strive for in medical school, Um, good grades, you wanna do well on step one, you wanna have your research experiences, et cetera. Um, and that's that's all important for sure. Um, you need those things to build a strong application. But um, in addition, I really tried to um, uh, make the time to pursue things that I was passionate about kind of outside the academic and research realm. Um, for instance, I worked with an organization called Achilles International that pairs volunteer guides with athletes with disabilities. And that was just a really fantastic experience that I was fortunate enough to have um, throughout my, my time here. And it was something that I really talked a lot about on my interviews um, and made a bit, big impact on me. So I think you need, you need the basic building blocks, but if there's something else that you really love to do that kind of keeps you a human outside of school, um, it's really important to have that. It not only strengthens you as a person, but it does strengthen your application as well. Yeah, kind of echoing off of what Jessa just said, like, you know, everyone is so accomplished that, you know, that high step score, that extra publication, you know, it's kind of, everyone has that. So you really have to find something that, really kind of sets you apart or makes you unique. And I think that um, I grew up in Hawaii and I grew up in a small ranching and like farming town. So I talked about my time growing up as like a Hawaiian cowboy. And I felt like I talked about that at every interview and a lot of people were really interested in that. And I talked about how that kind of led into my interest in orthopedics and how it really goes hand in hand. Um, So I think just finding like what is unique about you and and your path is really helpful um, just because, you know, as we said, like everyone has like, those good test scores, those pods, everyone's honoring those the rotations. Um, so you have to have that basics, but then just find what makes you really um, unique. And then I think another thing that's really important for um, students going into orthopedics is really just fostering good mentorship um, with, you know, research advisors who can later write you good, strong letters of recommendation, maybe even reaching out and doing uh, research with other institutions. Uh, so to piggyback off that a little bit, um, as an IMG, as someone who didn't go to medical school in the States, I think that um, I'm someone who has to work a little bit harder, adding a lot of special things to my applications. Um, and kind of hearing Tyler say like, 
you know, oh, everybody kind of has good board scores and this and that. And I mean, that's true, but every now and then you have people who kind of do have like a major red flag on your application. And, you know, kind of what I'll say will probably apply more to you guys if you don't have that great step score or you failed the shelf or you're from an international um, medical school. So I had to do a little bit more. I did do the full research here, which we'll get into later. I'm sure we'll talk about research. Um, the nursing background, everybody, the scrub nursing background, everybody was really interested in, and that definitely helped me during my sub eyes. Um, but the thing I'm really passionate about, the thing that like I wanted to talk about during the interviews was I love teaching. I love mentorship. So during medical school, I started my own um, tutoring company um, that kind of grew to like 15 people and we provide um, affordable tutoring for specifically Caribbean medical students who need really good step scores. So, so it's firehouse med prep, but it's just kind of there to give people resources. And that was the thing that like I really love to talk about and, and wanted to tell them about because I like it's a fun thing that I did. So it really sounds like everyone here was involved in so many different things. But a question that I have, like everyone mentioned here, finding good mentors was important. So a question that I have is how did everyone go about finding good mentorship opportunities throughout med school? Yeah, honestly, that's a really good question. Um, I think I really just kind of reached out to as many people as I could. And then once someone like responded like hey yeah, i like jump on this research project i'd always just try to keep um like working with them or if i had a like an orthopedic rotation and i was with a certain physician i'd really just try to make the most of that opportunity and um you know balancing like um being really annoying <laughs> and like um you know being a good student and kind of hounding them to just make the most of that time. So I think it's a little bit of a balance, but really just trying to work with them and um, get them to remember you and know your name. And um, I think it really goes a long way to help them to kind of advocate for you and write you good, strong letters of recommendation. Okay, well, thank you, Tyler, for sharing. I guess switching gears a little bit, Pre-COVID, it's well known that a large proportion of applicants either match at their home program or where they did their away. But from what I've heard and the research I've done, away electives have been limited for the 2022 graduating class. So in terms of electives, have any of you guys done any aways? And if so, how would you go about choosing them? How, to, how, how did you prepare for them? And in general, do you guys have any tips? So I can start this one because my experience is a little bit different. Um, you know, I, I don't actually have a home program, so that doesn't apply. And uh, the IMGs also weren't limited to only one uh, away. So both of those things were kind of the same as pre-COVID. Um, I was limited where I could do the ways because a lot of them weren't allowing um, IMGs to come during COVID. But I ended up being able to do four ways Um three that were associated with my school and one that wasn't. Um, and they were all really good experiences. And I felt like each one I like grew and learned a lot. And honestly, all of them were relatively easy to schedule. They all had really nice coordinators who like worked really well with me. Um, I, I thought it was great that I got to do that many because I love ortho. Um, that being said, I think I like wanted to die by the end of four months of 
sub eyes, just the amount of pressure you put on yourself during them to like look good and stay late and everything like that is a lot, whether you're at your home program or away, like when this is your dream, like it's exhausting no matter how many hours you're there. Um, Grace, this is a question more geared towards you since you're an IMG, but like, so in terms of aways, you didn't have a limit on the number of aways you did, correct? So I have like a certain amount of elective time, um, but there was no like hard rule on how many you could do. Like um, eventually they kind of opened it up to that people could do more, but from the start, we're allowed to do as many because we're, we have a different governing body. So we don't have the, the rules that apply to us, but I still have to like, I still only had six months in between when I started my fourth year and when applications were due. So you kind of just fill in that time as much as you can. And then the rest of the year, I've been doing my other required electives. And also like, so you, you didn't have a cap on the number, I guess, but did you have a cap on the number you did per specialty or you could do as many aways in orthopedics as you wanted? Um, it depended on if they were in network or out of network. So in network means my hospital, uh, my school has a contract with them. So I could do as many of those as I wanted. But if I wanted to go to a hospital that wasn't contracted with my, um, school, then those had a limit. I was only allowed to do one of those. Okay. Interesting. Thank you. Um, Jessa, I don't know if you spoke about your experience in a ways, if you want to add anything. Yeah, for sure. So I guess my experience kind of during COVID won't, um, it, it's changed now. I was only allowed to do one. Um, and I think students this year will thankfully be able to do multiple. Um, so for me, um, I guess it felt a little bit overwhelming to just pick one program. Um, so I just had to start by narrowing it down in some way, um, by some priority I found important. So I thought about maybe where in the country I would want to live. So I thought about different locations that were most appealing to me and I narrowed programs down that way. I had a, a group, smaller group of programs. Um, and then from there I thought about okay, what am I looking for in terms of um, operative training? I personally don't have a strong inclination towards any one fellowship. So I'm really looking for a very um, broad um, program that isn't super focused on any one specialty. So I was thinking about that, um, thinking about program size that I wanted. Um, I really want to make research a part of my practice. Um, eventually I wanna be an academic. So I was looking for strong research opportunities. And kind of from there, I just put all the pieces together and narrowed it down. Um, really, um, also importantly, relied a lot on advice from other students, um, the residents at my home program, um, mentors that I had uh, to kind of go through a lot of that with me as well. Um, and so that was how I ended up picking. And it's actually great practice to start thinking about these now, um, these priorities and what you value because you're gonna make your rank list, um, you know, a few months following your away. And it's really nice to know um, what you're looking for early on. Yeah, I did think um, identifying where I was gonna apply for sub eyes definitely helped me kind of understand the network when I went to apply to all the different programs. I'm glad that I spent as much time, even if you're just picking one, like kind of just understanding what every program has to offer. Great bit of info, definitely useful. So thank you for sharing.
I guess now moving on a little bit more chronologically in the process, what would you guys say were the most important factors to consider when choosing your letter writers? And how did you go about requesting a letter? So yeah, I kind of spoke to this a little bit before um, on like how to choose a mentor. Um, so I think really just finding someone who's going to write you a strong letter of recommendation. I know some people are like, oh, like you want to get this like famous person and orthopedics or whatever. But if they honestly don't know you and they're just going to write a really generic letter of recommendation, I don't know how helpful it is. And I actually, during some interviews I had, um, the interviewer read me like a line or something from a letter of recommendation. Um, I'm not sure if that's like a very common thing, but I definitely like was good. It felt good to have, um, to know that my mentors were really like backing me and supporting me. So I had one who I had done research with um, since my first year of medical school. And then the other two I got, one from my home sub-I and then because I was only limited to one away, I um, did basically like another mini um, sub-I at my home institution. So I got my all my letters um, that way. I think another kind of pressure some people feel is trying to get a letter of recommendation on their away rotation, um, which I think it has like its pros and cons. Like if you can get one, that's great, but I don't know if you can always expect to get one. Um, for example, my rotation that I did away was with a different attending almost every day. And I didn't feel like I could have gotten a strong letter of recommendation. So I didn't ask. However, I didn't really get that many interviews um, that were outside of like kind of the West Coast geography. Um, being from Hawaii, they probably didn't think that some white kid would wanna to come to a cold area. So I think maybe that could open up areas maybe if you talk with the program um, director or that some attendings they might be able to do kind of like a department letter of recommendation i've heard some people do that so those are all some things that you can think about to try to kind of maximize your letter of recommendations um so yeah i had a little bit of difficulty with my letters of recommendation because again i don't have a home program so what I decided to do was get the program director and the chief from the institution where I did my research here in New Jersey, because I felt like I had the most longitudinal relationship with them. And I had also worked with a nurse as a nurse with them. So, you know, as much as um, I didn't want to have all my letters from the same place, I felt like no one really knew me better and could really give a genuine letter. And I, I could trust them to, like, get it in a time and stuff. Um, that being said, I did want to, I kind of felt like to what Tyler said, like you really wanted to get one from an away. And so I was trying to get one from this doctor from away. He said, yes, but he wasn't like turning it in. He wasn't turning it in. So I mentioned this to another one of my mentors and she was like, oh, no worries. And it's like three days until like the deadline. She's like, I'll write you one. She's like, I'll have it into you by tonight. And I was like, you don't have to do that. And she's like, no, like, don't worry about it. Um, and thank goodness, because I later heard that the, the guy did eventually give me a letter and I was told later that um, it wasn't a very good one from someone who saw it. So, you know, if someone's giving you a lot of pushback <laughs> um, or not delivering something on time, uh, it's okay to kind of just write them off as not invested in you and try for something else, because I never would have expected this woman 
um, to write one for me that night. And it ended up being much better for my application than his letter. So kind of read the room a little bit, I guess. Yeah, the only the only last thing um, I would add in terms of the letter conversation is um, it's kind of nice to have um, a little bit of diversity um, in your writers um, in terms of the context in which you worked with them. So I uh, got a, a letter from one of my research mentors who I had worked with very much um, in a research setting, a little bit in the clinical setting, but not too, too much. And then I had other writers who I had worked with much more often in OR and in clinic who could speak um, more to my clinical skills. Um, and then, of course, a lot of um, programs um, will recommend that you have a chair letter and a lot of home programs will just kind of automatically have you meet with the chair or your PD and they'll write you a letter um, as well. So um, usually they'll they'll offer that. Um, but yeah, for sure to echo Grace, it can be a little bit stressful at times um, when your letter writer hasn't turned something in. But uh, that being said, uh, surgeons are busy people and sometimes they do need the reminder every once in a while. And thank you. So for our next question, more about when it came time to apply, what were the key, so we know that one of the key factors to consider is the number of residency programs that you're actually applying to. How did you guys decide how many to apply to? I know there's a great deal of costs associated with applying to a lot of programs. So what were your, maybe if you could elaborate a little bit on your strategic planning. Yeah, so I kind of did the uh, large net uh, method, which is what's recommended for someone with a problem or a red flag on their application or an IMG. Uh, so I actually ended up applying to 170 ortho and 30 prelim, which is a lot. Uh, I think looking back, I really only ended up getting interviews from the East Coast. I think this year is very regional. And so I definitely could have saved some money by just applying to the East Coast, but you don't know. I was uh, waitlisted at one place in the West Coast. Um, so I could have limited it that way. One of the ways I did limit it is I, I know I wanna go into trauma. So I only uh, applied to programs that were at least level one or level two trauma and weren't level three because I felt like I wanted to be kind of surrounded by trauma and that's still a lot of programs. And um, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Oh, and I had loans for the application. So my through my school, you can get a loan increase of like four fifty, I think four hundred uh, four thousand five hundred dollars. And I think I still paid like three hundred dollars. So it was like almost five grand total. Um, Jessa, Tyler, anything else to add or? Not, not really too much. Um, I think kind of the main um, takeaways in terms of um, how many programs to apply apply to is, you know, how, I guess, how wide to cast your net, you know, how many programs you want to. I think um, typically people apply close to, you know, 70 to 100 programs, even more than that, depending um, on kind of financial resources, ability to get loans, et cetera. Um, and the money, of course, is the other consideration. Um, yeah. How many did you guys end up applying to as U.S. students? I applied to 70. 
Yeah, I applied to a hundred, but um, I'm also couples matching. Um, so I felt like that was just like an added pressure. Uh, I wanted to actually apply to more, but my girlfriend was like, absolutely no. <laughs> so, yeah, most um, of my, I, my friends from the States applied to like 60 to 80. That was kind of the general consensus of what I heard. Yeah, and I think you really just have to kind of like know your application and uh, like where you really want to end up and how confident you <laughs> Um, so I remember that like prior to recording this episode, you all mentioned Universal Offer Day. And I'm pretty sure that this year that took place. Well, I, I guess not this year, but this cycle, it took place on November 17th. From what I understand, unlike other specialties, ortho programs have one universal day where programs extend interview offers to medical students. And I'm not too familiar with this whole process. So I was wondering if it's possible to be invited for an interview prior to that date or even after universal offer date. Obviously it's a stressful time, but did you guys feel like having this one standardized day decreased your overall stress levels or would you say it increased them? So yeah, Universal Offer Day was actually, it was technically on the 15th, um, not the 17th, but yes, mid-November um, is when those offers were extended. And I would say the universal component is a little bit of a misnomer because technically not every program participates in this universal offer day, although the vast majority of them do. So if a program is not participating, then sure, they can invite you to interview whenever they please, whether it's before or after the date. Um, but I would say overall, um, you know, I didn't like kind of that moment of truth on one day having to find out. Um, but that said, I, I really do think I would take it over having to be on my phone 24 hours a day. I was doing a, um, a clinical rotation in November. I wouldn't have wanted to be checking my phone or running out of a patient room um, to respond to an interview offer. Um, I think it kind of uh, strips students of their ability to fully live their lives, not robotically attached to their phones all the time, which just should never be an expectation. Um, so yeah, overall, um, I, I think it was the best. Yeah, I personally loved it because there were so many horror stories of friends and classmates who were in different specialties who, you know, being in Hawaii, um, they'd get a 3 a.m. email from, you know, like their dream program about an interview invite, and then they'd wake up and have missed it. Uh, and so I was just so happy that I didn't have to deal with that. So any program directors listening to this, please do the universal <laughs> release date. <laughs> I didn't even think about the different time zones because there's enough horror stories of people just like being in a rotation and like losing their spot. I didn't even think about the people who would like not be able to sleep. Um, yeah, I, I think I'm a big fan of it. I, I wish more programs were involved with it. I think more specialties will start doing it. Um, but that being said, I did have at least one interview come in before, uh, at least one interview that came in afterwards, and also a wait list um, where I got the interview afterwards. So still the majority was kind of waiting for that day. But a lot of programs let us know if they weren't going to do Universal Offer Day um, via a message through the application. So at least if you were like really wanted one, 
specific place, you could kind of be on the lookout for that email. So is there like a specific time frame that you have to answer an interview invite? Like what I'm understanding is that it's stressful if, because of the different locations and the different time zones. I think we had, what was it? We had one day in between where we couldn't respond. And then it was 9 a.m. the following day where we all had that time to respond. And they specifically asked the people who are participating in Universal Offer Day not to request more people than there were spots for interviews to prevent that problem. I don't know if everybody followed that. I'd, I didn't have any problem scheduling the interviews once I had been offered them. Yeah, I think somewhere first come, first serve, like once um, it was open to scheduling. So you weren't going to be at risk of losing your spot, um, but you might just not get the interview date and time uh, that worked best for you. So I guess now moving on and focusing more on like the actual interviews, from what I've heard, the 2022 match interviews are being conducted in a virtual format for the second year in a row. And I know that you're all still in the middle of fourth year. So if you're not comfortable disclosing information, you guys could be very broad or we can move on to the next question. But have you guys had had any interview experiences yet? Are they all virtual and how are they going? So yeah, I can start with that one. So I had predominantly virtual interviews. I did have a few in-person interviews. And I think like just the general format is pretty consistent, whether it's in-person or virtual, is that there's usually kind of like a panel, it's like two to three uh, physicians or residents. And for the most part, the interviews were pretty relaxed. And they just asked, you know, very generic, like why orthopedics? Why should we take you? Like, tell me about yourself asking about some specific research. Um, I did have some like kind of bizarre questions that they asked and on the in-person interviews, I felt they really like wanted to take advantage of having you there and they'd have you do like some kind of like thing with your hands as they try to like grill you or pimp you about something. Um, but it wasn't really all that terrible. I know you can read online like absolute horror stories, but uh, nothing terrible. And then there's another kind of style that I also saw, which were kind of like themed rooms where you'd have like a knowledge base or like kind of a pimping session. And then another that would just be uh, asking you about research, another room that would be ethics, another room that would be uh, about diversity. So it's kind of like my general experience. So I guess there's not really a standardized format across all schools. It varies from program to program? Very much so. Um, and yeah, I kind of had the same experience. Everything was pretty similar. I think there was only one program that pimped me and they did it in like a very respectful way where they're like, hey, we just want to like generally know your, you know, your knowledge, like this isn't to stress you out. We're not expecting you to get these answers right. Um, and I only had one in-person interview. So I think honestly, it being virtual wasn't so bad. No, I, I didn't have all my interviews were virtual and I really didn't mind um, the virtual format. Um, there's always a little bit of awkwardness where everyone's asking if you can hear and see each other um, when you first get into a Zoom room. But 
um, yeah, the general, the most standard format that I found was kind of 10 minutes, 10 to 15 minutes um, per interview with you know, one or two attendings, uh, maybe a group of residents, um, and they'd ask some questions in a breakout room, and then you'd be like returned to a main session or pushed into another breakout room was typically the format that I found. I thought the most helpful thing for me in terms of preparing for interviews uh, was just really um, having like prepared um, detailed answers about everything on my CV. Uh, because sometimes um, they would not ask you a single question about your CV. They hadn't even read it. And other times they would ask you something that you might've done four years ago, but they thought it was kind of interesting or weird or um, wanted to know more. And, um, you know, sometimes if you're going back through the um, mental filing cabinet, you're like, oh, what was that again? Why did I put that on my application? And that's not, um, that's not something you want to suddenly be reminded of. Uh, mid-interview. So definitely have a really strong ability to answer every um, everything you list on your CV. Um, because one, you did cool things and you should get to talk about them. Um, and two, you can avoid any um, surprises. Yeah, I think the one thing I did that to prepare that I was most happy I did was in that same way, I had a list of like 20 questions to ask them. Um, because honestly, a lot of times if I had rotated there or if I had known the program very well, I, I didn't really even have that many questions. But I think one interview I had, one of the like rooms was 15 minutes. And he said, I have no questions for you. Ask me questions. And so for 15 minutes, I had to come up with questions. And thank goodness I had, you know, 20 or so uh, questions to, to ask because that's a lot harder, I think, for me at least, than to answer questions. Yeah, and there's also like a big kind of debate too right now of like virtual interviews if you really can kind of get a sense of the program versus in person. And since I kind of had the benefit of both, I really am not sure that in person offered that much better of an assessment of how clinically like the residents were or like how good of an academic program they were. But it was really nice to meet the residents and other applicants in person just to kind of get the vibe or the culture of a program. I feel like that's something that was very hard to see virtually, and especially like virtually if there's like a break, people just turn off their cameras and don't talk. Um, whereas uh, in person, you know, you can't just, you know, turn it off and avoid people. Um, so I think that was kind of like a benefit of those um, different experiences. I 100% agree. It was basically just more fun, but I didn't really feel like I got a better feel of the program overall, just the residents. that's really neat I guess it sounds like you can at least anticipate a little bit what the questions are that you're going to be asked if that makes sense but moving on in terms of ranking I know it can be very stressful to rank your programs what's going to play a role in your decision when ranking and what questions would you recommend an applicant ask residents in the program or the program director before ranking absolutely so I think for me, it was a little bit easy to kind of create my rank list because, like I said, I knew a lot of the programs. I had either rotated there or shadowed there or done research there for the majority. Um, so I think that having such a good understanding of the programs ahead of time is absolutely going to help you. You know, trying to rank just on a 
two or three hour interview is much, much harder. So the, the programs that I didn't know as well, I definitely felt like, oh, where do these belong on there? But I tried to, you know, overall look a lot at honestly where I wanted to live and the quality of life I wanted to have. Um, something people don't always consider is like the cost of the city and the weather and things like that. And like, does that really matter for your career overall? No, but if you have a bunch of good options, sometimes it's just like realistically, where would I be happiest for the next five years? And that's really what I tried to look at because ideally I would know who liked me the most and I would rank them number one and I would 100% match. But when you don't have that, I feel like you just kind of have to choose where you want to live and what type of program you want to be in. Do you want a more structured one? Do you want a more kind of relaxed one? And kind of just balance those. That's how I did it at least. I really think it's only a matter of knowing and understanding your priorities and the most important things are to you. And that in and of itself, like that's a very simple way to look at it, but it's really not easy at all. Um, especially, you know, when you're, you know, maybe 26 years old and you have no idea what your priorities are going to be when you're 30 or, um, you know, beyond. Um, so I would just say, you can't predict the future. Don't worry about what are my priorities going to be in a few years from now. Just focus on yourself as you are and what's important. And if, location is the most important thing to you, then honor that. Um, if it's not, if you really would prefer a program that has a really strong joints or sports or hand program or has the most trauma or has the best parking or the best cafeteria food, like whatever it is that you really can't live out, don't feel bad about that. Like that's, what's going to make you happy. And, um, you know, if you're just like, I want to break my programs based on doximity's list of what's quote unquote the best, like that's your call. Um, so I think it, it just requires some kind of deeper thinking about what is important to you and don't judge yourself on what's important to you because that's just what it is. You know, there's no such thing as good cafeteria food. Come on. <laughs> I do, but I don't know. <laughs> There's grades of that. Yeah, well, um, not sure that I have all that much to add on. You guys really, I think, hit the key points, but um, just I'm couples matching. And so that kind of adds a added variable and difficulty in choosing our programs. So we're really trying to kind of find the balance of what, uh, would be like the best programs for both of us. And thankfully my partner, she's going into emergency medicine. So there's a lot of overlap. So basically if there's a good trauma, there's gonna be good ortho and emergency medicine programs. So that's kind of what we're uh, ranking first is the quality of um, like the operative or volume in the emergency room. Um, another thing we're looking at, of course, is like location. But then also we're kind of looking at like the X factor of each program. like if they have like really amazing research or really cool international experience, if they have night flow or just something that makes it um, special. And then finally, also just the gut feeling. Like sometimes you go out of an interview and you're like, wow, like that was an amazing experience. Like I'm really excited. And other times just like, oh, like, I don't know. So I think that uh, that feeling might be like a really good way to um, look at things. And then 
another thing a lot of people have told me is like to look at the fellowship match but honestly like at this point i really don't know that i know enough about what fellowship programs are good um so i've been kind of looking just to make sure they have a good variety of match like if everyone's going into sports only like am i going to get a good joints or maybe tumor rotation out of it but i don't know how how do you guys feel about like the fellowship match or are you guys even using that as uh, a basis i definitely looked at it but i mean this is just based on what residents and attendings tell me that it's so much easier to get into good fellowships than it is to get into good residency so it wasn't like a priority. Like you said, I kind of looked for a diversity of it, you know, making sure since I want to do trauma that they had at least some that went to trauma, but also like it, it varies a lot year to year and it varies a lot in what people like. So I didn't weigh it too heavily. Well, you've all given us such helpful information for not only those hoping to apply to ortho, but in general applicants of future cycles in different specialties. Is there anything else that you would like to tell us about the application or general advice to succeed in medical school? Um, not, not really too much to add. I think um, everyone um, here has done a really awesome job kind of laying out uh, things that are important to know in the highlights. But uh, the only thing I would say is really try to make the most of all of your rotations on medical school, um, because I think that, um, yes, you know, if you know you're interested in ortho, it's really important to focus on that and make all the connections and get all the experience you can. But um, there's really great things to learn um, across all subspecialties and having a strong breadth of knowledge and experiences in med school is really going to all come together and prepare you um, for intern year and beyond, or at least that's, that's sort of how I have felt. Such great advice, Jessa. Thanks again. So I think we're just about running out of time. I wanted to thank you all so much for taking the time out of your busy schedules to record this podcast and sharing your experiences. Going forward, I wish you all the best of luck. Tyler, Tyler Jessa, Grace, and I are all part of the Nailed It blog team. So to our listeners, if you have any questions for Jessa, Tyler, or Grace, feel free to reach out to us through the Nailed It Ortho social media handles. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thank you all for listening to that episode featuring our great medical students. I hope you all enjoyed it. I hope you all learned a lot, and especially for the medical students listening, I hope this helps some kind of give you an idea of what are some of the things to expect, a little bit of advice. Now, again, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, go ahead and hit the subscribe button. Please go and leave us a review and let us how let us know how you liked this episode. This is a little bit different. Um, actually, our first again, first medical student, you know, centered episode. We know a lot of you all listening to this podcast, so I'm hoping that this provided a little bit of value to you all. So until next time.